Would you please turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. There's no teaching sheet today, but I felt that the Lord wanted us at the very beginning of this month of December, which this is the first Sunday, and it is our um, Parats Breakthrough Sunday. So in your prayers today, be believing God for the breakthrough times that um, we're engaging in intercession concerning. But Matthew chapter 16 talks to, to a large degree about uh, being able to discern and being able to in some ways, very clearly, predict what is coming. And um, I, I know that this passage has been talked about from many different angles, but today I believe we're going to look at it from a saintly perspective, from a mnemonic perspective, and I believe we're going to see some things that the Father has reserved for us for this moment. So... Um, I want to say one other thing about this. I don't think that this, what we're going to look at today, is the only time Jesus spoke about this kind of thing. There are several different versions of similar things that are spoken about, like the sign of the prophet Jonas and, you know, Jesus equating uh, being in the tomb uh, for three days and nights. And, you know, there, there are, there are, I don't think this was a one-off, and they, they just interpreted it in different ways. I think Jesus spoke about this on several occasions. And so when you read about it in Luke, and you read about it here, and you, you read and reference other places, it's not that the Word of God is confused or that, you know, the, the message is mixed, and you see you can't rely on it because this guy says this thing and this guy says that. I believe that this message that we're going to speak about today was vital and is vital, and I think that the Lord talked about it on more than one occasion. So there is no variance here that would suggest that there's an inaccuracy of portraying what the Lord said. I think that this is just a theme that he, that he hit upon a number of times, and it was in different settings, and in one place he referred to this in this way, and in another place he referred to it in another way. So, Matthew 16, verse 1. <clears throat> the fair, oh, and this is another thing. Um, you know, the disciples were asking about bread, and in, in one of the occasions you, you find that uh, where this is where they were asking about bread, I think those boys were asking about food a lot. If you've been around a bunch of men, if men are together, they're going to be talking about food. So it wasn't just one, oh, hey, well, they talked about food. That's notable. I think if you've been around men at all, there's a lot of discussion about food. And among some women, there's a lot of discussion about food. But in this instance, it says that Jesus went on a boat and he went over to the other side. And you, you have this encounter with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then his disciples arrived in another boat. And it's at that point that they ask about bread. So again, this is not confusing. It's not contradictory. I just think that, you know, this kind of thing happened regularly. It just did. If you're, if you're traveling around with a group of folks for, for three and a half years, 
there's going to be, and especially when they don't have Chick-fil-A on the corner, uh, they're, they're talking about where they're going to get food. And um, so this was a discussion that could have happened many different times. So, to the Scripture. The Pharisees also, with the Sadducees, came and tempted, tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. But in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the, time, the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Um, one of the things that we have seen over the years when we come into December and we look at the scriptures that talk about um, the nativity uh, is that recurrently there are instances where the people that are involved in the story received a word and they were expected to remember that word and to carry that word through. Uh, this past week, uh, I spoke to um, the Brazilian churches about the story of Zecharias when Gabriel came and uh, how that Gabriel spoke about how that, that uh, Zechariah's supplication had been heard. And remember, we've talked about this in, in the past and how long ago that supplication must have been offered by Zechariah's. Um, because that supplication obviously had to do with he and Elizabeth having a child. And at some point, uh, when the Bible says that they were very, very old people, you stop praying about that, I would think, wouldn't you? I mean, if you're cresting 90 years old, I think you probably might stop praying about having a baby. I don't know. Maybe you're different. Maybe your name is El Producto, and you just keep going. Of course, we said, you know, for women, you know, when you get, certain age, you know, childbearing is gone. Men can still have babies well into their aged years. The problem is they just can't lift them anymore. But, you know, that's such an old joke. I mean, it's you already knew it. You knew what I was going to say. You knew the punchline before I even said it. But, you know, for, for Gabriel to specifically address from the throne that he was there on behalf of that supplication really tells me a lot about what prophetic foretelling really is. Because if you really believe that God has said something to you and you came into that point of agreement where you know it's going to be, that is kind of a long-range foretelling. And you have to hold on to that. You, you, you cannot surrender that, no matter what it looks like. You know, I was reading in, in Hebrews um, about, you know, the, the hall of faith from Hebrews 10 going through 11. And, and it spoke, it mentioned Abraham, who was in a, in a similar situation, and it said, it said he was good as dead. <laughs> he was as good as dead. It's amazing how many phrases we have in the English language that came straight out of the King James. But um, 
You know, it's funny that the Bible says that during the time that Abraham was believing God and that the miracle child was going to come, the Scripture said that he was as good as dead. I mean, not unequivocally. It looked like he was as good as dead. It doesn't say that. It says he was as good as dead. And I think that if we're talking during this month of the prophet about about prophetic foretelling, you, you have to be based upon what you already know God has said. And you have to hold on to that. You know, here, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but Jesus speaks about how that we need to be able, in verse 3, to discern the signs of the times, the signs of the kairos, discerning the signs of the kairos. And I know that as we've studied, the kairos has to line up with the chronos. The rhema has to line up with the logos. You know, you have to have the established foundation for anything new to be happening. And if you're going to be somebody that discerns the Kairos time, you've got to be established in your belief regarding what God has said overall. And that's not a mystery. It shouldn't be. What God has called you to be should not be a mystery to you. Your standing and your your identity as a saint and as an intercessor, that shouldn't be some kind of a nebulous thing. That should be something that is settled in heaven in your heart. And you build, that's your foundational point where you are launching forward, even with thanks and praise. You're really not going to be able to effectively envision and praise forward if you're not established in the foundation of thanks. If you don't recognize what God has done for you, and if you're not grateful for that foundation, then you're going to be unsteady and unstable, and you're not going to be able to believe for anything. That's what James says. You know, uh, if, if you're double-minded, don't expect anything from God. Isn't that what it says, or am I just making that up? It's there. And so we have to recognize what God has said. You see that throughout the whole Christmas story from Anna and Simeon, those two elderly people who had held on for years believing in a promise that God had given, and then God honored that promise. And they both came, and they were able to bless the young child Jesus. What about Mary? I mean, nine months is nine months. But if you're a a very young girl, and this miraculous, never been happening before in any point of human history, thing is prophesied over you, and you come into an agreement that says, let it be unto me according to your word, every day you live, you've got to balance everything that happens to you based upon what has already been established in your life. And that is the way you evaluate Kairos moments. The problem with most of the general church is, and I grew up in the general church, I was trained in the general church, I pastored in a general church, is that we're real big about finding out what's God doing right now. Oh, I've got to find this, I've got to find that. But you talk about partnering with God in some kind of a faith statement where your identity is established in God. Well, not so much, you know. 
Because the mindset is, well, I'm born again. I'm waiting for the rapture. I'm going to be a good person. I've deduced what I feel I should do, and I'm just going to ask God to bless it. And I'm going to have other people pray for me that I'll have favor. And I, I'm knowing the blessing of the Lord. Well, how are you partnering with God on behalf of uh, his eternal plan and his restoration? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I've got a home in heaven. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. The whole concept of standing in some kind of Abrahamic faith is foreign to much of the people that God says are part of that lineage. And you, in order to be able to discern the Kairos seasons, you have to first be founded in that established position of partnering with God. Now, how can I say that? Because of many things in the Scripture, but Jesus says it right here. And he talks about weather forecasting. He's speaking this to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Sadducees didn't believe really anything. They were worse than agnostics. We've talked about this in the past, so I don't need to explain it. The Pharisees were religious bigots. They felt they knew the word and that nobody could tell them anything. They were just established in it. They were guarding it. And not only were they guarding it, but they were guarding over the 15 fences they'd built around the word. And so Jesus says to them about something that really bridged the gap, weather forecasts. <laughs> he says, you know what? You in the evening will say it's going to be fair weather tomorrow for the sky is red. In the morning it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering. And then he doubles back. We're going to talk about what both of those mean. But he doubles back and he equates the first one with being wicked and the second one with being adulterous. It's that same Hebraic thing where you lay two things out and you double back and you hit both again. So what's the first one? When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. Well, fair weather was a term that was used throughout Greek culture, and it really is a word that, that spoke about some divine influence, a god, as it were, whether it's Zeus or Jupiter, and, and how that, the, the weather was going to be entrusted to the deities. This word was used throughout a lot of the Greek culture to attribute to Greek mythology. And so Jesus knew that, and he chose this word. They're looking at the sky as red, and they said, okay, we're going to go to bed tonight. We're going to trust the providence of these entities, these beings, whoever you, whoever you worshipped. Now, that's not me just saying that. You can look this word up, and it, it's very much there. And I believe that Jesus was equating that with wicked, wickedness. And, you know... How would that affect the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Even though they, didn't, they technically didn't worship other gods, they themselves were gods. They really were. And they, they believed that, that what they were doing kind of put them in a class of their own, and they were just kind of set. They were, they were protected. That's wickedness. It's a poneros. It's, it's, it's a wickedness. And so... The people trusted in the evening that through the night, through the dark hours, they were just going to be watched over. Maybe they paid their tithe, and so they felt that protected them. Maybe they offered a sacrifice to some 
some wicked being and they felt that was going to protect them through the dark hours when they were going to be sleeping and basically vulnerable. It's very interesting. But the second one, when it comes to the morning, same again, red sky, same word, but here it says that the, uh, there would be foul weather, foul weather, for the sky is red and lowering. Foul weather, if you'll look at it, is that term that was referenced today by Stacy in, the, in the, the class. Well, it's that term that the root of it is the hand. It's that term that then means the winter time. It's that term that speaks about the time of beginnings. And so uh, what separates you from being able to partner with God in the beginnings of something or, or to miss out? Well, red and lowering gives us the answer. Lowering is only used one other time in Scripture, and that was with the rich young ruler. And Jesus said, leave everything you have, follow me, and give all your goods out for philanthropic things. And the Bible says that this guy had much, and so he left, and he was greatly saddened. That's this word. And Jesus equates these kinds of people as adulterous. They, they, are, they say they're here, but they're really invested here, and they're invested here, and they're invested here, and they're really not invested in anything but what they want to do. And, and it gives you, at the beginning of the day, an opportunity to partner with the beginnings of what God wants to do, with that hand that empty place, that winter time, that storm that will then eventually bring about the, the promise of the harvest. And so Jesus says these two strange things. Think about that. Think about that. He, he talks, first of all, about trusting the gods. It's just clear that's what he said. And the second one is, I'm not, going to, um, I'm not going to invest myself in anything new because I am well established. I've got it all made. I've got it all. So why, why do I have to drop, drop back from that and look to the new day from the perspective of being able to, to invest in something brand new that might cost me everything? Now, the... The thing about this is that he uses these, these things of weather forecasting as the ability to discern the Kairos moment. And then he brings it back to Jonah, the sign of the prophet Jonas. Um, the thing, now, in another passage, Jesus says that this is about him being going to, to be killed, and he'll be in the earth three days and three nights, just like Jonas was in the whale. That's a wonderful thing. But even if you think about that, when Jesus rose from the dead, what did he berate, and he did berate his disciples for? Because they did not believe. Prophetically, he told them many times, this is what's going to happen. In fact, at one point, Peter didn't like, wasn't going to have any of it, and he rebuked the Lord. And uh, he said that, that uh, 
Peter, you know, you're being directed by Satan who is not operating in the phroneo. He's not savoring the things that be of God. He's not in the flow of God's breath revealing anything. And you don't need to be listening to him. You need to be listening to me. But the whole idea of Jesus being killed and sacrificed and being in the tomb for three days and nights and would rise again, that is prophetic. <laughs> Do you believe or don't you believe? Is this going to happen or not? And, and so Jesus equates this with Jonah. But the other thing that we spoke about last week in, in Sunday school was the, the key thing for Jonah was chronologically he was ministering shortly after the temple of Solomon was built. And, you know, God very clearly told Solomon, you need to be sending tabernacles out. You need to be sending them out throughout the whole world from this place. The problem was they didn't do that. In fact, they started living on their own laurels. You know, people heard about the grandeur of the temple and the wisdom of Solomon, and they start coming in. And instead of going out and establish a kingdom, Solomon was, off, was engaging in political marriages. And he had so many of them, I don't know how he kept things straight. Talk about a, having a, a daytimer. He needed an app to keep, keep all his women in line for when he was going to be with them, which was, was horrible. And so with Jonah, he didn't want to go out because he was a product of that age. He didn't like the Ninevites. wonder what would have happened. What would have happened if, you know, why did God send him there? And why was this mentioned here? You know that um, uh, Nineveh is, is the, the, in Iraq. It's Mosul which became very famous during the time of the, of the wars that was, was uh, most recently uh, engaged in by our military. But it's like uh, 400 miles away from um, um, the capital of that country. And, and, and I'm wondering if, if those people who turned and repented in sackcloth if they had been followed up, which obviously Jonas didn't have a mind to follow any of them up, but if, if they had really embraced the message of, from the temple, if that would not have affected the entirety of what Babylon would become, and if that would not have affected um, a breakthrough on behalf of the people, and instead, as we've said many times, it, what you don't overcome will overcome you. I wonder about that, and I wonder if that's not part of this reference of Jonah. You know, how do you look? How do you look at things? How do you judge Kairos? Is it just like this, or are you a person of, of divine identity? Do you know what God has called you to be, and are you just being it? Or are you in that dissatisfied because you always want things happening? I wonder how many days Abraham sat in the flap of the tent with, on the plains of Mamre before God and the, and the three traveling angels showed up. I wonder how many days, day after day, nothing was happening. They didn't have, even have Fox News to watch. I mean, they had nothing. Can you imagine how boring that must have been? And the promise of God with every day seemed like to them it was never going to happen. Years, years went by, but Abram embraced his identity before God. 
And, and I, wonder, I wonder about that. I mean, obviously, there are people that devote themselves to the world and trust whatever's going on in the world, whatever God is being worshipped. Well, that's who we're going to trust in. Oh, is it the God of racial equity right now? Yes, we'll worship that. We're going to speak the language. Oh, is it the God of this or is it God of that? Well, we're, we're just going to trust that's going to keep us through the dark times. And I wonder if there aren't times where God is saying, look at the sky. It's red both times. There's a possibility of judgment and burning. There's a possibility of what God wants to do. But you've got to invest yourself in the beginning. You've got to divest yourself of all the, all the material things that you've trusted in. The sky is there. The possibility of you partnering in something magnificent at the beginning of God's day is there. Will you be like the rich young ruler and turn away and say, you know, I'm leaving sad. I can't do that. And how is that with Jonah? I mean, that was an unprecedented time of prosperity for Israel. The Bible says that during the days of Solomon, can you imagine this, that silver was just like pebbles on the street. That it wasn't really, there was so much of it that it really wasn't, any more valuable than, than, than stones. There, this was a wealthy time. And, you know, that kind of puts a presumption on people. God was saying, you, you, better, you better fulfill what this temple is. And I don't know how many other prophets there may have been that God was saying, okay, you're going to launch out from this place and you've got to go. They didn't have apostles back then, but they had prophetic voices. You better go and take this, this, this gospel of my promise to these places, and they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Because you have to know your sense of identity. You have to know what God has said, and you have to, you have to avail yourself to that, and when you do that, then God will speak. God will give you Kairos understandings. God will direct you. And if you're not standing in that, you're just hearing the latest headline and running to it. Do you see that? So Jesus references Jonah. Jesus references these people that wanted a sign. And Jesus said, there's not going to be a sign given to you. You know, you got Jonas, and in another passage you got Noah. What do those two boys say? Noah's going to be nechaming with God. Noah's going to be partnering in grace with the seven spirits in a wicked world. And Jonah should be going forward to take the message when God says to go. And if you don't do it, you're going to be miserable until you do. How? Oh, that's Jesus saying that, isn't it? Sure is. But through that, then, you will be equipped to be able to discern Discern the face of the sky and know the signs of the Kairos. Without that, you don't know the Kairos. You really don't. You know, see, it's interesting, this thing with the hand, because, you know, you hear a lot of songs where people sing, you know, show me your glory, show me your glory, and that's great. You know, we all want to be equated with God in, in the midst of what he's doing with his glory. But what really happened with Moses? God says, you're not going to see my glory. You're going to be in this place where I've planted you. It's not going to be really attractive. It's, it's kind of a cleft in the rock there. And my hand, 
hand is going to cover you. And my glory is going to pass by you. And then when it passes by, I'm going to lift my hand, and you're going to be able to see what I've done. That's the whole key to seeing the glory. It's not just being in goosebump heaven. It's, it's recognizing that partnership with God. And that is really how you recognize what God is doing in that small place, under the covering of the hand of God, in the winter, in the time where you may not understand what's going on, but God is there, and he will fulfill what he's going to do. You're not going to counsel him. See, this all goes back to being able to discern the kairos, which is what Jesus talks about. I don't know what the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted with the sign. I suggest they probably wanted it. entertainment. They wanted to be entertained. Man, wasn't that great today? We saw some good things today. But are you partnering with God? Well, not so much. But boy, did we see good things today. It reminds me, there was an older lady that came to the church, and her family was here, and we loved those folks. And she would always go and say, man, it pastor's sermon sure was good today and one time um <laughs> one time one of her sons wasn't able to come to church that morning but he was able to be at lunch it was something to do with their work they had a business and she said man that sermon was good today and he said well what did pastor ron speak about she said i don't know but it sure was good <laughs> so much we just want to be entertained and the idea of partnering with God and paying the price for being in that place that then qualifies us for moving in the Kairos moments, uh, we don't often want that. That's the sign of Jonah. That's the whole lesson of Jonah. Yes, it was Christ in the tomb, but it was also other things. And, you know, I, I believe that for us here at this, this turning of the year, going in, out of the year of the prophet into the time of the saints, um, we, we need to really embrace the, um, the ability to trust what God has established us in because from that then, from that, we can discern Kairos. You know, Zecharias was that. Joseph was that. Mary was that. Anna was that. Simeon was that. The Magi were that. They all had a sense of divinely established identity. And from that then, God spoke. You, you can, and I, I reiterate, you really cannot be a discerner of the Kairos if you're not established in the Kronos. If, if, if you're not on the solid rock of what God has called you to be, and you're not faithful in it, well, how are you going to be able to, even if you saw the Kairos, how would you process it? And see, that was, that was the issue that I would say, it's fair to say that Gabriel was irritated with Zacharias. Because as soon as Zacharias started mouthing off about, how's this going to happen? I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with what he said. I mean, if I was 90 plus and suddenly here's this angel by the, by the altar of incense saying, okay, you and your wife are going to have a baby now, I, I might say, oh, how's that going to happen? <laughs> I might. 
And Gabriel wasn't having any of it. You're not going to be able to speak at all until this child comes. And, you know, but, but the reason Gabriel was there was because of that foundational identity. And, and I suppose that Zacharias and Elizabeth didn't do anything to negate that. I'm, I'm sure they wondered, you know, what was that thing we felt with God and how we offered that supplication? Maybe we missed it. They probably thought those things. It's only normal to think those things. But for God, he, he noted what they'd agreed for. And that's the heart of the Christmas story. That's the heart of what we read in the Bible about the coming of Christ. And I suspect it's at the heart of the second coming, too. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted a sign. They wanted some measure of entertainment. Even if God had set off fireworks for 20 hours in the sky, they probably still would not have changed who they were. Because an event doesn't change really anybody. It doesn't. I've encountered lots of events. I've seen lots of miracles. And over the years, many of them in this house, even before we begin to be the intercessors that God has called us to be. And I recognize that even though it may have impacted the people that were touched, it really didn't change many things. I mean, even, look at, look at here, the, verse 5. It's this story. The disciples come to the other side. They forgot to took bread. <laughs> what were they saying? You know, we don't have anything to eat. And Jesus said in another place, don't you remember the feeding of the thousands? So an event doesn't necessarily change anything, but a commitment does. And, and so Jesus was speaking about what you're committed to here. He was speaking about those that commit themselves to whatever's going on in the world. That's their God. And then at the beginning of the day, those that God says, will you partner with me? Will you, will you partner with my hand? And they say, no, you know, I can see that there, but it's lowering, which really was saying, it's going to cost me something to do this. Better not go out today. You know, and, and Jesus was the one who used this, this term when he did, he was the one that was there with the rich young ruler. He didn't say, I have a set of scribes there in the nighttime hour notating what was, uh, what, what had happened. It was Jesus and the rich young ruler, wasn't it? And so Jesus characterized that with this word. And the only two times he used it was with the rich young ruler and this potential for the morning. And, and so I speak to you and I say that I believe that one of the reasons God has drawn us to this um, and has been speaking these things over these past few weeks, is number one, you have stood on behalf of identity. Yeah, maybe we've not seen all the things that God has promised prophetically, but what we have seen and what we have believed and what we have covenanted with, we've remained faithful to that. And God has been doing lots of things, which was the case with Abraham. You know, he hadn't had Isaac yet, but, but he sure was blessed. He had hundreds of people working for him, and they weren't, 
they weren't mamby-pambies either. I mean, those, that same group formed an army, and they went and whacked a, 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 an alliance of five kings and their armies. That's saying something. Now, it was through the power of God, but still, I mean, you, you have to say that this guy was blessed. And they had so many blessings that even Lot rose up, and he, he had lots of cattle, and he had lots of things. And he said, you know what? You're cramping my style here, Uncle Abraham. You know, I, I, I'm going to go off on my own. They were blessed, and we've been blessed. But we have not even begun to see the things God's promised in, a great, in the greatest of ways. We're seeing nations open. But you know, some of the most precious things that God has shown in dreams and visions, I know we haven't seen yet. But yet God is blessing. You know, tomorrow night I'm speaking to a church, an, an, another church in Brazil, and a very very influential church within that nation. And that's a miracle. It's just, it's just a miracle. But it's, it's, and I give thanks to the Lord. But the greatest things that God, in, in our thinking, the greatest things that God has promised, we haven't seen yet. So in a lot of ways, we're like Abraham. In a lot of ways, we're like Zacharias. We've been blessed all through the years, but we're yet still believing the supplication that God has planned. And you know what? You have invested yourself. You have given things. For, what, for God, though, it's been nothing. But in the natural, you've surrendered reputation. You've surrendered um, lots of different things. You, you, instead of being like the rich young ruler, you gave it. And you wanted to follow the Lord. What a treasure that is to follow God in that way. But here Jesus is speaking to these people. You've got, you've got two options. You can be wicked. You can go with the world, the gods of this world, and trust that through the darkness. Or you can have the opportunity to partner with the, with the hand of the Almighty. But you've got to give what you are to do that. And if you, if you choose that, you'll be able to discern the Kairos moments. But I'm not going to give any sign to this generation. I, the only one I'm going to reference to you is one you've already seen, and that's Jonas. And I think even though it's, it's somewhat of a mystery, this whole story of Jonah, I was talking, the twins brought this up this morning, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Megan said, how big was that fish? And I thought, where have you been hearing about this today? You know, why did you bring this up? And so we talked a little bit about what that might have been, and as, as only the three of us can talk about things, which is usually kind of funny. But, you know, the, the, the strange thing, though, is, is that that's who Jesus remarks about. And to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who really gained their impetus at that temple, he reminds them, you know what you really should have been doing at that time, was going out to the places where the Spirit was sending you to go, and you didn't do it. Well, you did it. I had to make you go to one of them, and then you belly ached after I touched those people. That was the sign for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They should have been investing themselves in extending those tabernacles from that temple. And because they didn't, they atrophied. And they went after other gods. 
And they were certainly soon then overcome by these other nations, particularly Babylon. And, you know, that was their sign to people who had gained their, the beginnings of their identity during that time, where the, where the temple was the be-all, end-all of the world at that point. So I say this to you. Uh, first of all, on behalf of our Heavenly Father, and I don't say this pridefully, but I'm saying this to you, you have established yourself as somebody who is doing the work of the saints. And you have tried to the very best of your ability to be sons of the Heavenly Father and to seek Him and to be before Him. And that is the, the apex of anything that any person could ever do. And anywhere, th throughout all of the universes, that is the most precious thing that any point of creation could know. It's an honor to be that. And you, you've got you've to embrace that. And the enemy wants you to despise that. The enemy wants you to say, well, boy, you sure, look at this. If you'd done this, you'd have been, oh, whatever. But look at you. What time is going by? Look at you. And we've got to embrace the calling. And I know that you are, but we need to be thankful for it. We need to recognize what God has said, and we can't forget that. Because for God, it was just a moment ago. And, and we've got to cherish that, because from that point of identity, we discern the kairos. And Jesus chose these terms very, very specifically, as only the Son of God could. I want to be able to glean the Kairos moments, but I cannot properly interpret them unless I look through the prism of what my identity is before God and what he has called me to be. Otherwise, it's going to be askew. I'm going to see God doing something, and I'm going to interpret it by what Uncle Joe over here says or what this prophet says or what that person says, and I bless all of them. They have their own walk in God. But for me to be able to discern the kairos, it has to be through what God has covenanted with me to do. And we've been given a great covenant identity. The enemy's tried every way he could to, to whack that in your, in your thinking. I know he has. Because as time goes by, the, the greater the vision, the greater of opposition. But I would also say this, the greater the vision, the more patience is required. And, and I think that God is, is positioning us now for he's been, we've been saying transition, but another way to say it is positioning us to go forth into the new in new ways. And the only way that we can embrace that kairos is by remembering what God has said, remembering what we have covenanted with him to do on behalf of his throne and establishing that and being that. How has God's hand offered partnership with us? And what have we over and over again seen God do? Those are paving stones. Those are foundational stones. Those are the building blocks of grace. And that's the way we have to view 
the kairos. Because if you don't, you're just blown about by every wind of doctrine. You're in a wicked generation, or you're in an adulterous generation. You're either wicked because you're serving the world, or you just hop from one, one religious lover to the next. But God is saying, my hand's extended, and this is, this is the framework where I do a thing. This is what I tried to do with Israel during Jonah's time, and this is what uh, this is what is being expressed right now. Uh, it's really the heart of the prophet. It's really the heart of foretelling. You know, foretelling. The prophetic foretelling, in so many ways, is not just knowing what's happening. It's assessing the direction of the telescope of faith. And you adjust that direction by what God has done and how he's moved. And, 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 and then when you're established there, when God begins to say something, you, you're being able to interpret it with a, with a greater degree of accuracy. And, and it, it gives you a direction, a focal point. Um, and this, in these few verses... To me, I mean, pneumaticos topic, pneumaticos, pneumaticos, boom, 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 boom. We're seeing the Lord say things here that, that are so vital and such meat. And I believe that it's for the moment that we're in. I think that God is saying that even now we're beginning to see Kairos signs and the, the, the fruits of those partnerships and supplication are immediately uh, in front of us. And, but there are going to be new things that God is saying and bringing online. But it's all because we're partnering with him. And, and I, I'm, I'm very grateful to the Lord for this. You know, I'm, I'm ending now. I'm not launching into another sermon but throughout the day yesterday, I felt, you know, our first Saturday prayer, I felt the Lord during the, the prayer time, you know, our agenda was to look into the future. And some really good words were contributed already. Uh, I enjoy reading them because they are they're really precious from the heart of God to you. But I was, I was saying, God, I know you're going to be giving us a heightened degree of being able to foretell. And what God was talking about during the whole time, during the prayer time for me was, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? How have I shown myself? What is the foundation of faith that's been established here? And, and then again, you've got to cherish what I've done. You have to, you have to fellowship with me on what I have already done here. And you need to you need to give me thanks for that, and you need to to really embrace it because the enemy wants you to despise it. The enemy is attacking a lot of people right now with looking at where we are and saying it's not good enough. It's not enough. I need to jump ship and do something else. And you, me, have to thank me and really, really express your heartfelt appreciation 
for what I've invested in this people and in this histeme. And that was the whole thing. And I thought, okay, Lord, I know you said that you're, you're going to bring about uh, a foretelling and, and we're going to be engaging in prophetic knowing of things to come. And we've not really focused on that a lot, have we? We've walked in faith. God has been faithful to show us the next steps of faith. And, and we have prophesied things that God's wanting to do. But foretelling and foreknowing has not been something we press the envelope on because it's, it's not been something that God's required. And I felt that that's what God was going to be saying for this new year. And, you know, I, wasn't, I was kind of surprised. I was enjoying the presence of the Lord, rich presence of the Father here. But he just kept talking about all the things that he's given us. And, and the, the more it went, the, the, the more delighted I was in remembering what God has established. But every one of them was through this process of, will you give everything you are to see this happen? Will you be not like the rich young ruler? Will you invest yourself so that these new things will come? And, and as I, I left the church and throughout the day then, I kept thinking about that, and, and uh, then I felt the Lord say, discern the faith of the sky. I kept thinking that, and immediately I, I thought, well, what does this have to do with what I'm talking about? And then I thought, okay, well, I know that there's a kairos in there, that, that we should be able to discern the kairos there. And so I thought, well, that's great too. And then I looked at this and I thought, okay, Father, this is what your spirit has said. How, what does this have to do with foretelling and seeing? Do you ever process things with the Lord that way? It's not doubtful. It's like a student asking the instructor. And, and remember what we've said so many times about the way God leads us. He'll ask us questions, just like he did with Daniel, just like he did with so many of their prophets. He'll ask a question, and the answer that they give provides a prophetic word to them. And, and so I believe that what God is saying is it's a time for us to embrace and rejoice at all the things God has given us, and he's given us a lot. We are, we are so rich in the things of God's Spirit. He, he has blessed us, and he continues to bless us. And, and the miracles around the world, the miracles just, just in this wonderful Scripture and understanding of the Scripture is precious to us. God has blessed us abundantly. But in the midst of all of that, it's been really a time of preparing a foundation for what is coming. And I believe that there are going to be a lot of Kairos understandings about the future, discerning the face of the sky, what is coming that's going to be built upon this identity. And um, I, I, I release that to us, to you. And, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for it. And it goes back to, you know, old men dream dreams, young men see visions. If you don't have the dream, the visions aren't really going to do you much good in the, in the overall economy of God. And I, I, I believe that we're entering into a season of vision, Kairos vision, uh, illuminating vision, instructive vision, and, and it's going to be a precious time. 
But it's based upon our foundation. It's based upon our relationship with God. It's based upon this thing that Jesus is saying. And we've been saying this for weeks. God's Spirit's been saying this for weeks. But I I release this for you to be encouraged and, um, and to believe God for things beyond what we've enjoyed in the past. Um, everything in the Lord that is coming is building off of what we've enjoyed with him in the past and enjoying right now. I'm just rambling now in the winds of the Spirit, so I'm going to stop. But Heavenly Father, I thank you, and I speak that we will be able to discern the signs of the Kairos. I pray that you'll keep us from going off into any measure of wickedness or any other type of, uh, of adult, spiritually adulterous thing. And the Lord, we're, not, we're, we're looking only for the fulfillment of our partnership with you. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you for the things you've given. Thank you for the ways you have led us. Thank you for the ways that we have been privileged to know you and to partner with you. And I thank you that upon that foundation, you're going to lead us into things that are beyond anything we've asked or thought. I thank you for this, Father. Help us to serve you. Help us never to abandon that invitation to stand in the cleft of the rock under the covering of your hand. And we love you. I, I, uh, one other thing, those that we prayed for today, those that we believe for a touch in their body and in other situations, I seal that now, and I believe that we're, we're going to see in every one of them not only your answer, but things beyond what we envisioned. Thank you for this, Father. I bless this people, and I thank you for the privilege of all of us being able to serve you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you all. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in, and um, we'll see you soon.